You know, this is our Advent season, and um, again, as I told you last week, Advent is a time to where we... The word Advent means um, uh, the coming of someone notable. And so Advent is where we are getting ready for the coming of someone notable. And so we call this season of the four weeks before Christmas Advent because we are preparing to celebrate the coming of someone notable, right? And so we don't want to wait until December 25th before we really start looking at what it is that we're celebrating. And so we spend this season of 30 days that where we just we sing songs that point us toward what it is that we're celebrating. Uh, the last song we just sung is probably one of my favorites, if not my favorite of all songs. Um, uh, and so if, you, if you'll go back and you'll read those lyrics again, there is such a beautiful message about the, uh, about the coming of Christ and what He came to do and what it means. But we sing songs that point in that direction. We um, have our kids making decorations, and, um, and they make decorations for the trees. And they, as uh, their teachers are helping them make decorations, they're learning about what the coming of Christ means to them. And so hopefully, everything we do, everything we sing, everything we teach is going to help better prepare you so that on Christmas morning, you can truly wake up with an understanding of what the birth of Christ should mean to each and every one of us. And hopefully it will help you celebrate in a way that uh, most people don't celebrate this holiday anymore. And so um, as Christians, I pray that we can at least prepare our hearts to really, truly prepare to celebrate the coming of this notable person, the most notable that there has ever been. And so uh, in light of that, I'd like to ask if uh, Mr. Tobias Thompson, where is Tobias? He's going to come up here and he's going to um, read our scripture for us this morning from Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 13. And then he's going to give us a couple of candles that he's going to light. Ooh. Hang on one second, buddy. Make sure I get it. There you go. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword, and the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made a, me a polished arrow, in his quiver he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity, yet surely my right is with the Lord, and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, He whom he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be. 
my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and bring and to bring back the preserve of Israel. Of Israel. I will take. I will make you as light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the remember, the Redeemer of Israel is and His Holy One, to the one deeply desired, uh, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, the King shall. See and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves. Because of the Lord who is faithful, the, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor I have answered you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the lands, to apportion the desolate heritage. Yes. Says the per, so, saying to the prisoners, come out, those who, the, who are in darkness appear, they shall feed along the ways. On all bare heights shall be their pasture. There, they shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind, or nor sun shall strike them, for he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. And I will make all my mountains and roads, and be my highways shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and the, from the west and these from the land of Sine. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth, break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted the, his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. Good job, Toby. Come here, buddy. You know how to work one of them? Push you with your thumb on that and pull the trigger. All right, like that one and that one. Can you get it? Let me hold your bottle. There you go. I'm teaching kids how to play with lighters. <laughs> you can thank me later, Doris. <coughs> Good job. All right, and now, if I've got kids that made decorations this morning, come up here and show me what you've got. We're going to be on this side this morning. Any kids that made decorations, come up here. All right, Austin, what have you got? Huh? A cross. All right. What does a cross, what does it say? What else? Okay, all right. <clears throat> what have you got, Landon? Same thing? Yep. All right. All right, y'all got the same thing? What have you got? What have y'all got? What is that? Baby Jesus. Baby Jesus? All right. All right, is that, is that all of them? All right, y'all go hang them on the tree. Whichever one you want to hang them on. 
Uh, okay, I appreciate it. They can bring them next week. Yeah, that'll work. Grady, that's all right. What you got, buddy? What is that? Can I see it? That's a shepherd's staff. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I like that, buddy. Go hang it on the tree. All right, is there any more? Good job. <clears throat> All right. And if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah. We're going to be in chapter 49 again, as uh, Toby has already read. If you got your outline this morning, you'll see that I've got two goals that I want to accomplish today. Or I say today, in this season of Advent, so over the next few weeks. The first goal, and this is why I'm teaching the way I'm teaching, okay? The first goal is that I want you to see Jesus in the prophecies of old so that our faith in Him is strengthened as the one that God promised that He would send to save His people. I don't want you to just believe in Jesus on blind faith just because mom and dad always taught you this way, just because you were raised as a Christian. I want you to see Jesus in the Word. I want you to see that... Hundreds of years before He ever came, God told them, and specifically if you were to go back in Isaiah 48, actually in Isaiah chapter 48 verse 6, He's telling them this before He tells them. He says, You have heard, now see all this, and will you not declare it? From this time forth I announce to you new things, hidden things that you have not known. And so ultimately one of the things that we see is that God wants to tell them things, specific details about what He's going to do in the future so that when it comes to pass, you're able to look back and declare it and say, God promised that this is what He was going to do and God is batting a hundred when it comes to doing what He said He would do. And so what I want to be able to do is be able to look back in the prophecies of old and be able to see all the evidence that supports that Jesus is exactly who God promised from the time of Genesis and the fall of man all the way up till to today, He has fulfilled in every detail the promises that God made of who He would be. And I want to strengthen your faith in that so that, so that when you see these things, you know absolutely that Jesus is exactly what God said He was going to be. And then the second goal. I want you to see what the Bible says about His mission in coming to us so that we can understand what it should mean to us and truly separate, celebrate it. So I want you to be able to not only just see that He fulfills the details of it, but I want you to see what His mission was. Why was it that God sent His Father? For what purpose? What, and what does that mean to me? Why should I celebrate the coming of this Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? What does it mean personally to you about the Lord Jesus and His mission? 
And that's what I'm hoping to accomplish. Thank you, brother. And that's what I'm hoping to accomplish in the teachings over the next few weeks. And so in order to do that, one of the most wonderful places to accomplish these goals are in Isaiah. There are so many scholars of old that actually call Isaiah the fifth gospel, even though it's Old Testament. And the reason they do that is because Isaiah is filled with messianic promises, with messianic prophecies. And so Isaiah, his focus of the entire book was the coming judgment of God, the coming wrath of God, and the coming Savior of God, the coming future of a promised Savior that is going to rule and reign over a kingdom that we will inherit and that we will get to enjoy throughout eternity with Him. And the only way that you're really going to be able to appreciate this and celebrate this is if you are experiencing darkness in this life right now. And the more darkness you experience in this life, the more the light of God shines on it and gives you hope. And the more light of the promises of God shines on you and you are able to celebrate what it means that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And so that's what we're trying to accomplish in this. Last week, uh, I showed you from Isaiah 42 that Jesus is the servant of God who's going to bring justice to the nations. In other words, He's going to right every wrong. But in the process of this, He's not going to break bruised reeds and He's not going to extinguish uh, barely burning wicks. These are the images that He paints. Now, the reason I tell you that is because Isaiah is poetic language, the majority of it. And so in, um, in this uh, artistry of uh, poetry that, uh, that Isaiah is putting out here, we're seeing images that he's trying to give you to really help you see what it is that Jesus is going to do. And so he gives you an image of this reed, this, um, um, this plant that grows in the wet marshlands, and, and it's bruised. And so most people would come on by and just break it off because once it's bruised, it's weak, and it's not really worth anything to the world. Jesus steps on the scene as God's servant and He comes to bring justice to the world. And rightly, justice ought to destroy us, right? But instead of breaking these bruised reeds, He takes these reeds that are bruised and He heals them and He makes them whole. And that's a beautiful picture of what Jesus does for us. And then He, he comes to these, um, these candles that have a wick that's just barely burning. It's to the point that this, this wick is almost gone out and it's smoking. And instead of just going over here and putting it out, He comes and He blows on it and He makes this, this little ember of light into a flame. And this is what the Savior does when He comes to establish justice. And we saw a picture of this when people were broken and when people would come to Him in faith and they would, they would ask Him to, to save them and to, uh, to heal them and to, to feed them and to whatever it was they need. Instead of just putting them out and breaking them off as weak as they were, He heals them and He makes them whole. And He, he cherishes them and He nourishes them. And this is the kind of Savior that we saw last week. 
And then this week what we're going to be able to see is that this is the servant of God that's going to make a new covenant with God and is going to make a way for us to be saved from the coming wrath that is, that's on the way. He's going to give us God's Word so that we can be rescued from darkness. He's going to lead us in the light and He's going to give us a kingdom where Christ reigns as the King and we get to enjoy His reign forever and ever. And so we get to see that in Isaiah chapter 49. So for your outline today, I want you to notice that I like for instance number 1. You see it comes from chapter 49 verse 1 through 7. Number 2 comes from chapter 49 verse 5 through 7. And so it's not exactly laid out in a correct order because these points kind of overlap each other in here, but I think you're going to be able to see all of them as we go through this. So first things first, let's figure out this servant's identity. We've got to make sure that this is actually talking about the Messiah. We've got to make sure that Isaiah is talking about Jesus and Him coming into the world and what His mission is. And so in order to do that, let's look at the clues that we have to figure out who this servant is. So notice in verse 1 of chapter 49 it says, Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention you peoples from afar. So we have an audience and a speaker, right? So we need to figure out who both are. So let's just begin first off with the audience. The audience is the coastlands and the peoples from afar. Now if you were to go back to chapter 48, and I'm not going to do that for sake of time, but you would see that he's been talking, he would say, listen Jacob, or Listen to me, Israel, or pay attention to me, Jacob. And so he's been talking to the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. And now he moves in and he says, Listen to me, O coastlands, and all you people from afar. So who do you think his audience has changed to in chapter 49? Everybody. This message is not just for Israel, not just for Jewish people. This message is for everyone. And now we got to figure out who is the one that commands attention. Because notice, he's not just asking you to listen. He's saying, listen to me. This is a command. And he says next, give attention to me. So who is it that commands our listening? And who is it that commands our attention? Well, verse 3 gives us one clue. So let's see what verse 3 says. In verse 3, And he said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. So we have a clue there. The first clue of this servant is that it's Israel. He says it right there, right? Israel. And then he says that, in whom I will be glorified. Now let me ask you a question. Up to this point, has God been glorified in the nation of Israel? No. That's why He's destroyed the northern kingdom, Ephraim, in Israel. And that's the reason why the southern kingdom has now been called into captivity by the Babylonians. That's why judgment is coming over the whole world. So here's what we know from the clues. On the one hand, He calls this servant Israel. But, on the other hand, this servant has not glorified God as far as Israel 
is concerned, as far as the Jewish people are concerned. So how do we do this? So look in verse 5 and we'll find another clue. In verse 5, And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be His servant. And notice what the job is. To bring back Jacob to him. So here we have the job of this servant is to bring the nation of Israel back to him. So if the job of the servant is to bring Israel back to God, can this servant be the nation of Israel? No. So on the one hand, he's called Israel, but and on the other hand, he's going to glorify God, and on the other hand, he's going to bring the nation of Israel back to God. And so it can't be the Jewish people. It has to be the Savior of the Jewish people, right? All right, now let's keep going a little bit further. Look at verse 6. Look at another clue. And he says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to do this, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So here's another clue that we get about this. This servant is going to finish the call that Israel was called by God to do. Let me explain it to you. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God called Abraham, and this is where the nation of Israel is established, right? Abraham is the father of them, right? They're following Abraham's call. And look what the end of the call said. God said, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Who's going to be blessed through Abraham? So Israel was called to be blessed by God. First of all, they were going to follow God's law. They were going to be obedient to God. They were going to follow God's commandments. They were going to glorify God. They were going to be the light of the world for God. They were going to be blessed by God. And then they were not going to be the end of God's blessing, but instead they were going to be a means to which God would bless all the world. Look at it again. And through you or in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So in other words, Abraham and Israel, I'm going to bless you. And what is your job to do with that blessing? So you are going to not just save the nation of Israel. You are going to spread my light to the world. But did the Jews do that? No. They failed in every way. They failed in being obedient to God, right? They failed in believing God. They failed in being the light of the world for God and spreading His Word to the world and leading people to Him. They failed in blessing the people of the world. And instead, they became the people that are of God and you are the people that are not of God, right? They became the haves and you became the have-nots. We're the people of God and you're the nobodies. They failed in what God called them to do. This servant, go back with me to Isaiah 49 verse 6 again. This servant, God says to him, It's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. 
I'm going to make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. In other words, this servant is going to succeed in every way that Israel failed. Israel was supposed to glorify God, but they didn't. Israel was supposed to spread His Word to the entire world, but they didn't. It's too light a thing for this servant to just bring back the nation of Israel, to just bring back the Jewish people. That's not enough. This servant is going to be the light to the world. And he's going to reach people from afar. Do you see why this servant commands the coastlands to listen to him? The people from afar to listen? In other words, chapter 48 has been about God is going to save the nation of the Jewish people. And he's going to do it through the Messiah. And now chapter 49 is about people like you and me. Because see, there's only two groups of people in this world. You understand that, right? See, we think there's all kinds of groups of people. We think there's white people, black people, yellow people, red people, orange people, brown people. We think there's all kinds of groups of people. There's only two groups of people, and there have only ever been two groups of people in the world. And those two groups of people are either the Jewish people or the Gentile people. That's it. You are either a chosen of God or you are separated from God. That is the only way God sees people. He don't see red, yellow, black, and white. Why? They are precious in His sight. Every single one of them. And ultimately, this servant comes on the scene and God says to him, it's too light a thing for you to just save Jewish people. No, I'm going to send you as a light to people from afar and you're going to save people from all over the world. That's what this servant does. And so in um, Isaiah 48 verse 6, as we read a minute ago, the point that he was trying to make is God saying, I'm going to show you new things. I'm going to show you hidden things that you have not known because you, Israel, failed in every way. But this servant that I'm going to show you what he's going to do, he's going to succeed in your mission, in what you were supposed to do. He's going to fulfill my covenant. He is going to fulfill all my will, all of my, my wishes. He is going to do it all. And as he does it, he'll not only save you, He'll save the world. Now, just to prove that to you, I want to show you this. This is why he calls him Israel. Because again, there are many Jews today that translate this, ver- this, this scripture to be that this is about the Jewish people. The Jewish people are still the servant of God. But the Jewish people don't understand yet that you have failed. You did not fulfill the covenant that God made with you. And because of that, you have forfeited the promises of God. You don't get the promised land. I'm sorry to tell you that today. There are a lot of people in here today that, you know, we have so many preachers today that teach us, pray for Israel, pray for Israel. We've got to stand with Israel. We've got to stand with Israel. Well, well, yeah, to a certain degree, we do. We do. Because they are people of the world that need the gospel just like you and I, right? They don't deserve to be mistreated no more than anyone else. But most of these preachers are saying it because they believe that that promised land belongs to that ethnic group of people. 
No, they forfeited that promise. This promise belongs to God's true Son, God's chosen Son, the one that fulfilled the covenant that God made for the promised land. And this Son of God is one day, and He's called Israel, is going to come back and He is going to set His feet down in that land and He is going to establish this kingdom in that land. Now let me show you a few scriptures to prove it to you. Exodus chapter 4 verse 22. Look at what God says about Israel. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is who? Israel is my firstborn son. In other words, Israel is my son that I call to fulfill my purpose. It was supposed to be a group of ethnic people, Jewish people, that were going to fulfill His purpose, but they failed. So we need an Israel that will actually be His firstborn son and follow Him in faithfulness and fulfill His will, right? Alright, let me show you how, how Jesus fulfills this. Because let me show you first that they failed in every way. Hosea chapter 11 verse 1 and 2. Look what um, God said about Israel. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. You remember that? They were in bondage in Egypt. He loved them, he cherished them, and he called them out of Egypt. But the more they were called, the more they did what? The more they kept sacrificing, they didn't do it to me. They sacrificed to false gods, burnt offerings to idols. They didn't fulfill my will. They didn't follow my law. They didn't follow my purpose. The point being is that Israel was God's son, yet they failed in every way. All right. Now, I want to show you how Jesus succeeded in every way. Matthew chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. And He rose and took the child, and this is where Herod was trying to kill Jesus All right, as a baby. And they rose and took the child and his mother by night, and they departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Now think about it. Israel was supposed to do this, right? Israel was supposed to be called out of Egypt, but the more he called them, the more they did what? They went away. The more they were supposed to fulfill His will and be obedient to Him and and please Him, the more they displeased Him and followed other gods and false gods. But Jesus, on the other hand, was called out of Egypt as His Son. And then in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 18, look at what it says here. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to do what? To fulfill them. Look at verse 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And guess who's going to accomplish it? Jesus. Jesus has to come as the servant of God and He has to fulfill God's purpose, God's law for the covenant that was made between God and Israel, His Son. And now the true Son, the better Israel, the true Israel comes. God calls Him out of Egypt just like He did ethnic Israel, only ethnic Israel failed. God calls the true Israel out of Egypt and guess what the true Israel does? He succeeds in every way and everything He does, He says, I do it because it's my Father's will. 
I came to serve, not to be served. I came to give my life a ransom for many. I came to seek and to save that which is lost. I came to do the will of my Father. Is everybody tracking with me this morning? So here's the point. The point is that God's Son is the true and better Israel. His name is Jesus. But He still identifies as Israel because that's what Israel was called to do. Okay? So I hope this is not getting confusing. All right? But Jesus is the one that fulfilled God's covenant promises and Jesus is the one that gets all the rewards of God's covenant promises. Let me prove it to you. Look at Romans chapter 15 verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the Jews, the circumcised, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. You want to know the only way a Jew gets the promises of God? You want to know the only way a Jew has claim to the promised land? Is if they're in Jesus. Jesus came to confirm these promises that were given to the patriarchs by fulfilling them so that when Jews follow Him, they get the promises too. Let me show you another scripture that he said to Gentiles in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Look what Paul told the Gentiles. For all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why it is through Him, in Jesus' name, that we utter our amen to God for His glory. In other words, Jesus is the true Israel. Jesus is the one that fulfilled the old covenant. And because Jesus is the one that fulfilled the old covenant, He is the one that now can make a new covenant. And we're going to get to that here in a few minutes. But first, I want to just end this point by showing you that this servant is Jesus. Can everybody see that? This servant is Jesus. God declared it hundreds of years before He was born. And He fulfilled every iota, every dot to the letter. And because of that, you don't just have to believe in Jesus just because I stand up here and try to convince you every Sunday. You don't have to believe it just because mom and dad always taught you that Jesus was the Savior. You are to be able to look at it from the times of old and see that from Genesis, this is who God said He was going to be and this is exactly who He was. And He did it in every way. And that is why we should be strengthened in our faith this morning that Jesus indeed is the Messiah, the Savior of not just the Jewish people, but the Savior of the world, my Savior as well. Now let's move to the second point, the servant's work. Servant's work. I've already alluded to this a little bit, but look at verse 5 through 7 again. Um, Verse 5 through 7 it says, And now the Lord says, He who formed me, so this servant is going to be formed from the womb, right? He who formed me from the womb, and He's going to be formed to be what? His servant. So whatever the work is that God calls Him to, this servant is going to be formed to do that work, correct? He's going to have the strength of God, the power of God, everything He needs to accomplish the will of God. Now keep reading with me. Here's the work. To bring back Jacob to him, Because Jacob and Israel went away, right? The more God called them, the more they went away. Now this servant is going to bring them back. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and God has become my strength. And he says, 
It is too light a thing that you should be my servant. To raise up the tribes of Jacob, to bring back the preserved of Israel, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. So his job is to save all peoples of the world, right? But not every single person. Look what he says in verse 6 again. To bring back the preserved of Israel, the chosen, the ones that God has called out, the ones that God before the foundations of the world, decided that He would give His Son as a gift, as a bride. He is going to be a light to call all of these people from all parts of the world to save them and to bring them into eternity with Him. Now that's the work. How is He going to do this? How is He going to do it? Well, He's going to do it by using the design that God formed Him, right? Let's see what the design is. Go back with me to verse 2. What does the first two first two two words say? He made. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. So here we have this poetic imagery. Just like last week we had the, the bruised reeds that he won't break, the barely burning wick that he won't extinguish. Now we have a, some, a servant that's being made, and the way he's made is his mouth is like. A sharp sword. What do, sh- what do swords do? Are swords made for plowing the ground? Swords are made for one purpose. What is it? To kill. My sword is my mouth. God made my mouth like a sword because the words of my mouth are going to kill something. Let me show you a little bit about that. Look with me if you would at Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17 because the apostles carried this imagery over into the New Testament. And he said, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of what? The Spirit, which is what? So again, here we have the mouth of Jesus who John tells us was the Word and the Word became flesh, right? The Word. He made His mouth the Word of God and it is going to be a sword of the Spirit. And the Bible tells us in Romans that by the Spirit we are to put to death the deeds of the flesh. So the sword of the Spirit is what the Word of God is what He gives us in order for us to kill our flesh, in order for us to kill our sin. We are to hear the Word of God and as He shines light on our darkness of our sin, we're to obey the Word of God and follow Him. And when you do that, you're using the sword, imagery, of the Spirit, the Word of God, to kill the sin that is in your life. Because that's the purpose for it. Alright? So how is Jesus going to save Jewish people and people of the world? He's going to give you the Word of God. He's going to give you the true Word of God. And He's going to show you how to follow it so that you will have the power to be able to kill the sin and destroy the flesh in your life. So look with me at another few verses. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. For the Word of God is living and active. It is sharper than what? Any two-edged sword. Here we have imagery again. Again, the point is that God is able to take the Word of God and because it's living and it's active, it can cut into the deepest cancers in your life and it can take out the things that don't belong. You want to know why I am the Christian that I am today? 
because the Spirit of God uses the Word of God that Jesus came and gave me and I grow in it day after day after day. God takes His sword, His Word, and through Jesus and through His Holy Spirit, He cuts the things out of my life that do not belong. This is why we're in church this morning. We hear the Word of God, we learn from it, and we see... Is there a sin that I need to avoid in this? Is there a sin that I need to cut out of my life in this as I hear this? And so the Word of God is a sword. And notice it says, It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The Word of God can reach the deepest spiritual cancers that you have in your life. And if you'll keep listening to the Word, and you'll keep obeying the Word, and you'll keep trusting in Jesus, it'll cut the cancers in your life out that don't belong. Alright? That's how He does it. Jesus comes and He gives us the Word of God. Revelations chapter 1, verse 16. These are the words of Jesus Himself. It says, In His right hand He held seven stars. From His mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and His face was like the sun shining in full strength. This is a picture of who Jesus is. And again, here He has that sword coming out of His mouth. And so, how is Jesus going to accomplish this purpose? God makes Him to have the Word in His mouth. He has all the Word of God. And that's what we have in our Bible today. And that's what we use to grow in. And so that's how He do it. He is God's Word. And because He is the Word made flesh, He shares the Gospel with the Jews first. And then with the world next. Acts chapter 13, verse 44 through 48. Look at what this says. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear what? Alright, they gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul. You know why they did that? Because they were the haves and the world was the have-nots. Right? They're failing in every way. Jesus, on the other hand, is succeeding in every way and shining His light to the world. And so they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul and they began to revile him. Look at verse 46. And Paul and Barnabas spoke boldly, saying, It was necessary that the Word of God be spoken first to you, the Jews. You know why? Because it was supposed to come to the Jews first. His first part of his job was to bring back the preserved of Israel, right? And so he comes to them first. But since you, the Jews, thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, guess what we're doing? We're turning to the world because it was never supposed to stop with you to begin with. It was supposed to go out. I hope y'all are following. This is good stuff, y'all. If y'all ain't getting this, you woods wet. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. They're fulfilling exactly what Israel was supposed to do, but they rejected it all the way. All right? And so now, go with me to verse 47. For so the Lord commanded us, saying... I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Y'all see that? He's just, they're just fulfilling what Isaiah prophesied. So there again, who is this servant about? It's about Jesus and it's about Him spreading the gospel. Go ahead to verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, guess what they did? They began rejoicing. 
and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life, they believed. In other words, there's even a preservation of Gentiles that God has preserved. There's a preservation of Jews that God has preserved. And as many as are called and appointed to eternal life, when they're called, guess what they're going to do? They're going to believe. They're going to believe. The light is going to be spread to the world. Now, <clears throat> next I want you to show you in verse, um, verse 2 of chapter 49. Not only did he make his mouth like a sharp sword, and in the shadow of his hand... He hid me. So now we have a picture of a sword being hid in the shadow of His hand. So this Word of God was going to be sharp, but it was going to be hid until it could accomplish its purpose. And that's exactly what happened with Jesus, right? He was able to have the Word of God. He preached it, but God kept Him hid until the time that it was accomplished. And then He was not hid anymore. And then notice what He says in the second part of verse 2. He also made me a polished arrow. Some of your versions say a sharpened, an arrow with a sharp point. The point being is that He's not only a two-edged sword sharp enough to divide soul and spirit, He also has the image here of an arrow and a bow. And a bow can reach far further than a sword can, right? And so the point here is that on the one hand, he goes to the Jews up close, and on the other hand, he makes him like a sharp arrow, because what are arrows for? Are arrows for, for plowing the ground? Arrows with sharp points are made for one reason. And what's that? Made for killing. They're made for hunting, right? And Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost, and I'm going to use the Word of God, which is like a pointed arrow that can be shot to afar, and it's going to hit its target. And when it hit, hits its target, it's either going to kill your sin or it's going to kill you for eternity. One of the two things is going to happen. And so that's the way that He is going to accomplish His purpose. He's going to do it with the Word of God. He's going to give the Word of God. The next thing, look at verse 8 and you'll see the next way He's going to accomplish it. In verse 8 it says, Thus says the Lord, In a time of favor, or in an acceptable time, or in a delightful time, it could be translated. In a delightful time, I have answered you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. I will keep you. In other words, I'm going to keep you on your course, right? I'm going to keep you on the path that you're supposed to be on. God is not going to let this servant fail the way that Israel failed. This servant is going to be kept and ultimately, notice what it says next, I am going to give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land. I'm going to give you as a covenant. Now remember, Jesus obeys all of the old covenant. The old covenant said this, If you obey my commandments, you will live, you will have life. If you disobey me, you will be cursed and you will die. That was the old covenant. What happened to Israel? They disobeyed and they died. All the ones that, that, that fell in the wilderness was because they disobeyed, they didn't trust God. All the ones that made it to the promised land, Joshua and Caleb were the only two. They made it because they believed God, they trusted God, alright? But here we have Jesus fulfills the covenant in every way, He obeys it in every way, and because of this, He gets all of the covenant promises. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6 through 13. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old. 
as the covenant He mediates is what? It's better. Since it is enacted on even better promises. Because see, the old covenant was about a physical land, right? Physical blessings, things in this world. And He is going to come back in Revelation chapter 20. He's going to come back and He is going to set up a kingdom on this earth for a thousand years and it is going to be blessed with all of the old covenant promises. But the new covenant is about better promises because they're not physical promises. They're spiritual promises. They're eternal promises. It's enacted on better promises. And look at verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second covenant. But it wasn't faultless, right? How many of you have fulfilled that first covenant yet? We don't. It's faultless. We can't do it. All right? But we have to look for another covenant if God's going to save us because we failed in the first. Now go to verse 8. For he finds fault with them when he says... Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, northern and southern kingdoms. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, because they failed that. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them. They forfeited the promises, right? Jewish people today have no right to the promised land unless they are in Jesus Christ. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? Alright? And then he says, I showed no concern for them. Go to verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds. The Word of God that Jesus gives us and the Holy Spirit that He gives us. And I will... Write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And I love this last part in verse 11. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. I don't have to teach you how to know the Lord. You know why? Because you know the Lord. He's in you. He lives in you if you are born again. If He's written His laws on your hearts, if you have a desire to be obedient to Him, you know Him. And so, they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. And look at verse 12. I'm sorry. Yeah, did I give that to you? For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember... This is the new covenant, guys. I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Do you understand that your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins are cast as far away from you as the east is from the west? To, to give you an example uh, my old buddy Nick King would use, you take a globe and you start at any point on that globe and you turn this globe and you let's say you start at the North Pole and you go down. How long does it take you before you reach the South Pole and you have to stop? Because you can go south for a certain point, but once you reach the South Pole and you start going, which way are you going then? North. So there's a point from north to south. But now start at any point on the east and you turn it and you keep moving east. Stop me when it meets west. You can't stop it, can you? Because as long as you're going east, you're always going east. As long as you're going west, you're always going west. So how far is it between the east and the west? Infinity. Infinity. 
This is what the new covenant does for you. And this is what Jesus has been given for. According to Isaiah chapter 49, Jesus, because He fulfilled the old, He now has the authority to enact a new, right? Y'all following me? And so the new covenant says, I'm going to be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. You know why you don't have to go to the temple and give a sacrifice every week or every day for your sins? Because Jesus fulfilled it. And He is that ultimate sacrifice. And then look at verse 13. If I gave it to Him. In speaking of a new covenant, He makes the first one what? Obsolete. This is why we don't, we're not under law, we're under grace. And He says, and what is becoming obsolete is growing old and it is ready to what? Vanish away. So Christ became our covenant. And now look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 through 18. This will be the last one I do from Hebrews. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. It's never enough. But he stands daily, right? But what does Christ do? When Christ had offered an all-time sacrifice, a single sacrifice for sins, what did he do? He sat down. He don't stand anymore. Christ sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down because He fulfilled the first covenant. And now, go to verse 13. Waiting from that time until His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet. Verse 14. For by a single offering, He has perfected for how long? For all time. You want to know why I preach eternal security? You want to know why I preach that your salvation is secure from the time of your faith to the time He comes back? Because by one single sacrifice for all time, He has perfected those who are being sanctified. If you see that you are being sanctified, that God is changing you, that you are putting off the old and putting on new, if you can see that the sharpened sword and the arrow has hit its mark and the Word of God is uh, killing the sin in your life and you are becoming more like Him, you can rest assured that His single offering has perfected for all time you because you're being sanctified. Look at verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witnesses. So nowhere, you don't believe me? That's okay. You don't have to believe me. But believe the Holy Spirit because He bears witness to this because this is what He says in the Old Testament, in Isaiah. He says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then He adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds how often. <laughs> You ever reach the point in your life, I wish y'all would give me a whole day to preach one day. <laughs> you ever reached a point in your life where you feel like, God, I've messed up so bad this time that what's the point? Come on, can I, can I get a witness? The Holy Spirit says, for those that are in faith, for those that are in Jesus, that are in this new covenant, this is the promise the Holy Spirit makes to you. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. 
I don't know about you, but that lights my fire. And this is what Jesus has been given. He fulfilled the old covenant, and now back in Isaiah chapter 49, verse um, 8 again, He says, I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people. You are now the new covenant. In the Lord's Supper, when we drink of His blood and we eat of His flesh, we are partaking of the covenant that God has made between you and I. He fulfilled it. All of my promises belong to Him is what God says. And now all those who are in Him, all those who partake of Him, all of those who put their faith and their trust in Him, all of my promises are yes and amen to you. And that is why we utter our amen through His name to the glory of God. Amen. You remember my sins and my lawless deeds no more because you have become the covenant. And the reason you've become the covenant is because you made the old one obsolete. And when you made the old one obsolete, you became the mediator of the new one. And this is how I am made right with you. Finally, the results. Go through these quickly. Verse 7, the results. Every knee is going to bow. Look what he says. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one deeply despised. So this is what He says to one that's deeply despised, which was Jesus. To one that's abhorred by nations, hated by nations. This is Jesus. The servant of rulers. This is Jesus. And He says, here's what He says to him. Kings shall see, and kings shall arise. Princes, and they shall prostrate prostrate themselves. They are going to fall on their knees before Him one day. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and every tongue will worship that He is Lord. And it says, because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. So because His work has been accomplished, because of the servant that He was and that He is, every knee is going to bow. Is that not Jesus? Alright, let's keep going. Look with me at verse 8. Next thing. Thus says the Lord, In a time of favor I have answered you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people. And here's the result of it. To establish the land. In other words, the land now belongs to you. The land flowing with milk and honey. The perfect promised land. The garden of Eden. Paradise. It's yours. And he says, you're going to establish it. That means build it. For who? You're going to establish the land, he says next, to apportion the desolate inheritance. In other words, you're going to apportion it out to the ones to whom are going to inherit it. Guess who that is? Us. So he builds it. And is that not what Jesus said? Jesus said, hey, I'm going away, but don't let your heart be troubled. He said, if you believe in God, believe also in me. I'm going to do what? To prepare a place for you. And in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. But now I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, you better believe. I'm going to come back. And I'm going to receive you to myself so that where I am, what? There you may be also. He is going to apportion the desolate land. Now it's desolate right now because again, Babylonians have come in and took it over. The Assyrians have come in. Have you seen the Middle East in peace since you've been alive? 
Everybody says, pray for peace in the Middle East. Keep praying. (laughs) Keep praying. Because peace will not come to the Middle East until the king who owns the land, who will establish the land, sets his feet back down on the land and takes claim of it once for all, for all eternity. Now, keep going with me. So we get a kingdom. That's the next thing. Verse 9 and 10. Look what he says next. Saying to the prisoners... We're the prisoners, right? Come out. Here we have word images again. He's not saying literal prisons, but we are prisoners, right? We are prisoners to our sin. I can't take you those scriptures for lack of time. But he says, he says to the prisoners, come out. And he says to those who are in darkness, appear. So he shines light on us. And they shall feed along the ways on all bare heights. There shall be pasture. Another word picture of the flock of God that has plenty to eat. They're on the highest hills. They're with the best grass. This kingdom is filled with all of the best things. And then he gives us another word picture in verse um, 10. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. So there's no more hunger, there's no more thirst, there's no more suffering. None. This is the benefit of the servant of God that is coming on the mission to give us the Word and to be a covenant so that we can inherit this right here. And then keep going with me in verse um, 11. And I, or for, sorry, the end of verse 10. For he, he who has pity on them will lead them. So do we get that because we deserve it? <laughs> we get it because why? What does He do for us? He has pity on us. Ain't you glad God has pity on you? And He says, And by the springs of water I will guide them, and I will make all my mountains a road. In other words, He's going to remove all the obstacles and there's not going to be any difficulty in this land. And my highways shall be raised up. There's not going to be valleys. You ever heard the old song Martha Martha and Mary saying, what is it, God is God, uh, the same God on the mountain is the same God in the valley? Well, guess what? In this land, there are no mountains and there are no valleys because everything is like being on the top. And it's all level. That's the pictures that he's painting here. And then verse 12. Behold, these shall come from afar. And behold, these from the north and from the west. And these from the land of Cyrene. He's talking about the coast. They believe that this represented China. Is what this represents. So in other words, he's saying, from as far away as you can imagine people being, that's where these people are going to come from that are going to get to be a part of this covenant, this land, this king, this salvation, this glorious place. That's who gets to be a part of it. And then verse 13, here is the result. The final result. All creation breaks forth into singing. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into sinking. For the Lord has done what? Comforted His people, and He will have compassion on His afflicted. See, I close this morning by simply telling you that Christmas, I get it. I get it. God knows I get it. It's not an easy holiday for a lot of people, is it? And I get that. For Christmas, for a lot of people, it's sitting in darkness. Amen? Amen. But I want you to know something. I'm not telling you to celebrate Christmas because I'm ignorant of the darkness that's in your life. 
I know the darkness that's in this world. I know the hurt. But I'm telling you to celebrate. Not because everything is okay here and now. I'm telling you to celebrate because God has promised and God has proven that there is coming a day that those who sit in darkness now, He shines a light on you and says, appear. He shines a light on you and says, there is hope. He shines a light on you and says, one day I'm going to remove all of this suffering and you will never hunger again. You'll never thirst again. You will never suffer again. Just don't quit believing in me and my son. Don't quit following him. Don't quit hoping in him. On Christmas morning, you get up with those tears in your eyes and you praise God and you sing for joy that one day... We used to sing a song when I was, when I was younger. Um, we, it was someday, someday, someday soon, the kingdom will come. And you get up Christmas morning and you praise God for the kingdom. You praise God for His Son. You praise God for His servant. You praise God for His Word. You praise God for His sacrifice. You praise God for everything that He has done for you because He has had pity on you and He has had compassion toward you. And one day you will sing for joy because He comforts you. He comforts you and He wipes away every tear from your eyes. And if that don't make you celebrate Christmas, I got nothing for you.